0: Heavenly Father, we pray now that as we come to your word, you'd help us to see Jesus in all his power and glory. We pray that you'd help us to respond rightly to him in repentance and faith so that we are properly prepared for his return. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, being prepared is essential to life. Being prepared is essential to life, whether it's your exams, or a job interview, or the wedding proposal. Uh, To not be prepared could have disastrous results. Uh, That was almost true for a friend of mine in ministry. It was his wedding day, and he arrived at the church. Uh, Everything was ready. The guests were there. Uh, The booklets were printed. Uh, The flowers in the church were stunning. Everything was ready, or so he thought. Uh, About an hour before the ceremony, he went out to change into his wedding suit, only to discover that somehow he'd left his pants at home. And now he was at the church with no pants. Uh, You can just imagine the stress of my poor friend. I mean, what would he do, get married in a suit and shorts, or or borrow the pants from the best man, and then well, what would he do? Uh, Being unprepared like that could have disastrous results, and thankfully that he had some good friends who managed to drive home and recover the missing pants just in time. But being prepared is essential, and uh, the question that God wants us to consider today in this passage is this. Are you prepared to meet Christ on the judgment day? Are you prepared to meet Christ on the judgment day, it's one thing to turn up to your wedding day unprepared. But to turn up on the judgment day unprepared, well, that would be utterly disastrous. Well, thankfully, our passage tells us how we can be rightly prepared, and that is through repentance. Now, we saw last week that uh, John the Baptist was the forerunner. Uh, He was the one promised by the prophet Isaiah, who would prepare the way for the Lord Jesus. And we saw that John was preparing the way uh, by proclaiming a baptism of repentance. We saw that in verse 3. He went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, a repentance is uh, means a U-turn. Uh, it's when you realize that you've been going the wrong way. You stop, you turn around, and you come back the right way. I realize Malaysians are quite good at U-turns when they're driving. But yeah, that's what repentance is, a U-turn, a real change in mind that leads to a real change of action. And John's baptism was a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So repentance is not something that we we do to earn our salvation. Uh, We'll see in a moment it's God who enables repentance by his Holy Spirit. But there's no doubt here There's no forgiveness without repentance. It was a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, of course, in Malaysia, I guess repentance is maybe not the most popular idea. Our first instinct is to hide our mistakes, uh, to sweep them under the carpet. We don't generally like to admit our failures or talk about repentance Uh, And it's no surprise then that the message of repentance is often missing from many churches. We may be told that God loves us, uh, that he wants to save us and bless us and so on, but we'll almost never be told of the reality of God's judgment or the necessity of repentance. And so we need to listen quite carefully to God's word this morning, because we see here that without real repentance, there is no forgiveness. Well, let's turn to the passage, the first point. Real repentance is essential because God's judgment is coming. Real repentance is essential because God's judgment is coming. Look with me at verse 7. John said, therefore, to the crowns that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Repentance. Uh, John calls the crowds a brood of vipers. It's not very polite, is it? But it's certainly meant to be a wake-up call for the crowds. A viper is a deadly snake. Uh, It ought to remind us of Satan, the great snake. He's saying to the crowd, they're sinners. They follow the path of Satan. They're headed for judgment. There's a judgment day coming a day of God's wrath when he will hold us to account for everything we've ever said or done. And they needed to escape from this day. But really the warning John is giving them here is simply coming to him for baptism without experiencing the reality of repentance which baptism symbolizes. Well, that's absolutely useless. To escape from the wrath to come, they need to bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Now, it seems here that some of the Jews were thinking, oh, we'll, we'll be fine. It's verse 8, we have Abraham as our father. They're thinking, look, we're, we're Jews, we're, we're sons of the promise. God's judgment will never come upon us. Our, our status, our ancestry, our religion, well, that will all protect us. We don't need to repent like all those other bad people there. But they were wrong. And verse 8, John says, Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. John wakes them up to reality. If you have not repented, you're not a child of Abraham. You're not one of God's people. Because if you'd understood what, what baptism is about, well, you would have repented. You would have turned away from your old life of sin and begun to live under the rule of God. Now, I think we too mustn't be sent, uh, lulled into a false sense of security like that. Think to ourselves... Oh, I was baptized as a child. I'm from a Christian family. I attend church regularly. I'm confirmed by the bishop. I participate in the Lord's Supper. I serve in this ministry or that. I'm a leader. Now, those are all good and important things to do, but they don't make you a Christian. And they won't save you from the judgment day. What makes you a Christian is real and personal. Repentance. See, our, our religious ancestry and heritage are irrelevant when it comes to salvation. There's no point in being baptized and confirmed, but not living a, a changed life. There's, there's no point coming to a church that's 200 years old if your heart is not being changed. There's no benefit in belonging to a Christian family if you've failed to respond personally to God's call. There's no advantage in serving in a ministry or having a position of leadership if you have not submitted personally to Christ as the Lord of your life, without real repentance accompanying all those things. They're useless. They're worthless. There are lots of people who attend churches regularly, maybe even for years, but have never personally made the decision to repent and say, Jesus, you are Lord of my life. I'm going to submit to your rule over my life. I'm going to do what you want, not what I want. They may be coming regularly and doing church stuff, but they're not really living for Jesus. Their priorities are elsewhere. They're not actively obeying the word of God. Their hearts are not changed. It's a ritual. It's a hobby. But it's not Jesus I'm living for. I wonder, is that that you this morning? Does that describe your life? Christian on the side. If it is you, you're in grave danger. John says the axe is at the root of the trees. And unless you change, unless you repent, judgment is coming. One day God will cut you down, toss you into the fires of eternal judgment. You see, real repentance is essential because God's judgment is coming. Well, secondly, we see that real repentance produces radical and practical fruit. Real repentance produces radical and practical fruit. John says in verse 8, "...bear fruits in keeping with repentance." Verse 9, every tree that does not bear good fruits is cut down and thrown into the fire. In other words, your life will prove whether your repentance is genuine or not. You can claim to be a Christian, but your Christianity is only real if it results in a radically transformed life. You can't claim to be a Christian and yet still have sins in your life that you're not willing to repent of or have worldly priorities that you're not willing to change, or flaws in your character and thinking that you're not willing to reform. If your repentance is real, it will show in your actions. Real repentance produces radical and practical fruit. Uh, And in verses 10 to 14, John outlines the practical meaning of repentance in terms of loving our neighbor. Look at verse 10 with me. and be content with your wages. See, Firstly, for the crowds, repentance uh, was meant to impact their wardrobes and their dinner tables. They they were to be generous to the needy, not selfish. They were to share their food and their clothes. For the tax collector, repentance meant leaving behind a life of greed and corruption, to to be honest, to be fair, uh, not collecting more than they were authorized to do. For the soldier, repentance meant contentment rather than using intimidation or extortion to crush others for their own personal benefit. Do, do you see how radical and practical real repentance is? So I wonder if we can take these examples to do a bit of a QC check on our own lives this morning. Start with generosity. Are you a generous person? What do you do? Who do you give your money to? How often? Do you donate to charity? Do you give money to the church? Do you care for the poor? What about justice? Are you a just and honest person? Uh, does repentance show in how you do business or work? Do you along, go along with the company, producing fake sales reports or fake false accounts? Are you happy to deceive your clients or... Lie about your tax. What about extortion? How do you treat those that you have power over? How do you treat your mate or the foreign workers in your company? Do you give bribes? Do you accept bribes? What about contentment? Are you content with what you have? Or are you always wanting more? Are you able to forego things? Or do you do whatever it takes to get what you want, even if you need to trample others or do illegal things to get it? Now, we could add to that list for every part of life, couldn't we? I could ask, as a mother, how do you treat your children? As a driver, are you patient and loving or selfish and speedy? As a lawyer, do you tell the truth or twist the truth? As an engineer, do you do honest work or cut corners, and so on. It doesn't matter which area of life. Repentance should lead to radical and practical fruit. Someone should be able to look at our life and just see that we're a Christian because they can see the fruits of repentance in our lives. And so God is warning us this morning, a phony faith won't get us into the kingdom of God. If our life is not being radically and practically transformed by the gospel, well, that may indicate that we're not actually Christian at all. We still need to repent before God's wrath comes. So real repentance is essential because God's wrath is, God's judgment is coming. Real repentance produces radical and practical fruit. And the third point this morning, real repentance is enabled by God's spirit. Real repentance is enabled by God's spirit Uh, In verses 15 to 17, we learn that Jesus is bringing a baptism that is greater than John's, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Look at verse 15. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, untying someone's sandals in those days was considered so low, it was a task that was only reserved for slaves. But John, this great prophet, recognizes how much greater Jesus is than him. He's not even worthy to untie his sandals like a slave. The one he's preparing the way for is the divine Lord of all who's come to save and rule his people. And so also John recognises that Jesus then offers a a baptism that's far greater than his. He says, verse 16, I baptise you with water, but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So you see in the Bible there are actually two types of baptism. There's water baptism and there is spirit baptism. John baptised with water And water baptism is an outward and visible symbol of repentance for forgiveness. So as you go under the water, your your old life of sin is over. You come out of the water to live a new life for the Lord Jesus, as if you were buried and then you came back to life. And the water itself, it symbolizes washing or cleansing, right? the forgiveness of your sins. But, of course, water itself can't really... Cleanse the heart or bring forgiveness. It's just water after all. It's just a symbol. Uh, it's like a wedding ring. A wedding ring, and a, a wedding ring is, an, is an outward and visible sign that you are married. But simply putting on a wedding ring doesn't mean that you're married, does it? I mean, you need to have a spouse who, who gave you the rings with whom you made the covenant promises of marriage. So water baptism is an outward and visible sign of repentance and forgiveness. Uh, But it points forward to to the real and the greater baptism that Jesus would bring, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. See, in the Old Testament, God had promised in places like Ezekiel 36 a time when he was going to pour out his Holy Spirit to cleanse the hearts of his people and enable them to walk in his ways. And that's the the baptism of the Spirit that Jesus brought when he died and he rose and he ascended and then at Pentecost poured out his Spirit on his people. So as we turn to Jesus in repentance, we're baptized with the Holy Spirit. He comes to indwell us. He changes our hearts from within so that we can repent, we can turn from that old life and now live a new life for Jesus as king another way of saying that is that that real repentance is enabled by God's spirit right it, it requires god's spirit to actually change our hearts from within and that's very good news for us isn't it because you may think to yourself look i could never change i could never turn from that sin or those sins i could never stop being an ang- being angry or proud or selfish or I can't become honest and just and generous like like that, like that list we just read. But by God's Spirit, we can be. We can be forgiven. We can be cleansed. We can repent. We can see real change in our life. But notice verse 16 says that Jesus wouldn't just baptize with the Holy Spirit. It also says he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, what does it mean to be baptized with fire? fire. Well, Jesus doesn't mean here, look, being on fire for God, being passionate and zealous or something like that. Uh, Jesus is not talking about the Holy Spirit coming down like flames of fire at Pentecost. Jesus is again here talking about judgment. We see that in the following verse. Look at verse 17. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor, to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with his winnowing fork, the gospel, the Lord Jesus is going to divide all people into two groups, that the chaff who reject him and are tossed into the unquenchable fire of hell and the weeds who repent and are gathered into his eternal kingdom. Do you see? Either way... Baptised by the Holy Spirit as we turn to Christ in repentance, or we'll be baptised with fire as we reject his rule and are punished. Mistakes are rather high, aren't they? How we respond to Christ determines our eternal future. Now, I wonder if you believe the things this passage is talking about, that there will be a judgment day, when Jesus will sift the world like wheat and chaff. That that heaven and hell are both real. That those who reject Christ will face unquenchable fire, eternal conscious torment. Because as we celebrate Advent and look forward to the second coming of the Lord Jesus, that's the future we're looking forward to, isn't it? Eternal life or... Eternal judgment. See, the gospel is very good news for those who repent. But for those who reject Jesus in the gospel, it's a gospel of judgment, isn't it? It's very interesting how Luke summarizes John's teaching in verse 18. Have a look at verse 18. So with many other exhortations, John preached good news to the people. Remember, good news, that's the word Gospel. What's the good news or the gospel that John the Baptist preached? Yes, it was a gospel of forgiveness and salvation, entry into God's kingdom, yes. But it was also a gospel of judgment and eternal punishment. The the, the real gospel's not just about salvation, but it's about judgment as well. It's not just about God's love, but God's justice as well. And it's really crucial that we don't, remove god's judgment from the gospel because only a gospel that includes god's judgment will bring about real repentance i mean if you remove god's judgment from the gospel then there's no need to repent anymore there's nothing that you need to be to be saved from why turn to jesus at all so true gospel preaching will not only speak of god's love and forgiveness but also warn of god's judgment If we don't repent, so how will you respond to the gospel this morning? Will you respond in repentance, turning from your sin to submit to the Lord Jesus as King, or reject his rule so that you can keep living for yourself? The stakes are high, but the choice is ours. Before we finish, I want us to consider what might stop us from truly repenting and living changed lives for Christ. The final point, rejecting repentance, rejecting repentance. I think some things in life are hard to accept, like a negative performance review, redundancy, bad feedback, loving rebuke from a friend. There are some truths that are just hard to accept, and we want to minimise them, avoid them, or deny them. And I think the gospel of repentance is one of those hard truths. We don't really like talk about judgement and we certainly don't like talk about change. We want to go on living how we want. We don't want to change and do what Jesus wants. If we're honest, deep down in our sinful hearts, we don't want to repent. And we see that exposed in the tragic story of Herod, which Luke places just at the end of this passage. Verse 19, But Herod the Tetrarch, who'd been reproved or rebuked by John for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. So Herod was an evil man. Not only was Herodias the wife of his brother, but she was also Herod's niece as well. But confronted with his sin, Herod refuses to repent. Perhaps it's because of his pride. You know, As a king, it was too hard to admit that he'd sinned. You know, he'd lose face. There might be consequences. Perhaps it, was, perhaps it was because he just simply loved his sin too much. He didn't want to change. So he threw John in prison. We don't know. But Herod is a graphic reminder of the inclination of all our hearts to reject repentance so that we can go on living for me, can go on living for my desires, my achievements, my reputation, my priorities without Jesus coming in and messing up all my plans. So again, each of us is faced with the same choice as Herod. Having heard the gospel... Will we walk away from here unchanged, rejecting the gospel's call to repent? Maybe because we're too proud to change, or because we're too in love with our sin. Or will we repent, in humility, make that personal decision to leave our old life of sin, to stop living for me, and instead live for the Lord Jesus, a radically transformed life. That's our choice. Repent or not. And our answer to that question will determine whether we're baptized with the Spirit or eternal fire. So let's begin. return to the question we began with. Are you prepared to meet Jesus on the judgment day? Are you prepared to meet Jesus on the judgment day? I hope you see there's only one way to prepare. You need to repent to make that personal decision to leave behind your sin and submit to King Jesus as Lord of your life, and then live that out day by day, bearing the fruit of repentance, radically and practically transformed in every part of your life according to the Word of God. It's a change we'll only make with God's Spirit changing our heart enabling us to do it. So maybe it's worth reflecting this morning. Are there sins in my life that I am unwilling to turn from? Are there loving actions I'm called to that I am ignoring? Are there things in my life that I love more than Jesus? Are there priorities I pursue more than Christ? Am I a Christian merely in name, or also in reality? It's a disaster to turn up to your wedding day with no pants, but it's no laughing matter to face the Lord Jesus Christ on Judgment Day with no repentance. Are you prepared? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the reminder this morning that the Lord Jesus is our King and Judge. Help us to be ready for his return as we turn to him now in repentance. Lord, thank you that you have poured out your Spirit so that our hearts may be changed. Help us by your Spirit to bear the fruits of repentance, and help us to be bold as we share the gospel with others, warning them of the coming judgment, so that they too may turn to the Lord Jesus in repentance and find forgiveness of their sins. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.